Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is part of our series, Next. We learn in this series that each one of us has a next step, whether that's baptism, joining a small group, or even being consistent in reading God's Word. Whatever your next step is, our prayer is that it will be revealed to you in today's message. Man, I'm excited, and all 25 of us in here this morning are excited. How about the fact that we do everything so backwards that we pick the weekend of the Georgia-Georgia Southern game and the beginning of Thanksgiving break to make possibly the biggest announcement we've ever made in our lives. Way to go, Connection Church. Um, but we really believe that that's, this was the day we were supposed to do it. So uh, I think it's going to be awesome. And hey, if during this message you feel like moving to the front, come on down. There's plenty of seats. Um, we'll just be like one big cozy family and, uh, you can move down here and, and I can actually see you. So that'd be awesome. You go to sleep, I can throw something at you. Um, but today we're going to continue this series next, and this will be the last week of this. We'll start a new series next week, moving into the Christmas, um, season and, and getting our minds focused on Jesus, uh, during that season. And, um, and so I'm looking forward to that today. My prayer is that God really moves in our hearts, that he unites our hearts, that we prepare to be amazed at what God would do as we literally, as we're going to read in Joshua chapter three, step into the river, trusting that God is going to part it and that we're going to cross over into uh, his promises and into the things that he wants to do uh, here through this church. Um, before we, we jump into his word, um, one thing I do want to mention to you is um, this week being Thanksgiving, on Thursday, there is a community-wide effort to feed people who uh, otherwise would not have a Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, usually on a typical year, they'll feed 1,500 to 2,000 people. We are going to help them uh, do that. And specifically, we're going to help them by delivering meals between 11 and 1 on Thursday. I realize that's lunchtime and it's Thanksgiving. But they need people to help deliver these meals to people who otherwise would not eat uh, a Thanksgiving meal. And so if you can do that, if you can help out with that, if uh, you would help out with that and rearrange your schedule a little bit to help feed these folks, um, you can sign up at our Next Steps table and just let them know that, that you'd be glad to help because we do want to be a blessing to these people this week um, as we're able to go out and, and share the love of Christ um, and give them a meal that otherwise they would not have had. So uh, sign up at Next Steps for that. All right, here we go. Joshua chapter 3. We're going to get into this. Um, by the way, yesterday was the four-year anniversary of Connection Church, and uh, that was pretty cool. Talking about waters parting and stepping across rivers on dry ground and all that, the fact that we still exist is an absolute miracle of God. So um, thankful for that and thankful for all that God has done, but I really, really believe in my heart that the best things are yet to come. I believe that God has greater things that he desires to do, not just through us, but just in this community, um, through the power of Jesus and through um, just the power of the resurrection as he resurrects our dead lives and gives us life that we can shine light to others. Joshua chapter 3, I'm going to read this entire chapter because I want you to get this full picture. And, and what I really want you to do today is as we read this scripture, some of you have really good imaginations. Some of you don't, but do the best you can to put yourself in um, the, the priest's shoes. These priests that wear our sandals, whatever they wore, that, that you put yourself in their um, place. How about that? 
and, and that you really begin to feel what they would be feeling, that you begin to see what they would be seeing, and, and, and really begin to just visualize what's taking place as these Israelites, according to the command of God, are about to cross over into the promised land, a promise they had had for hundreds of years. They're finally about to realize it. So Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests who are the Levites carrying it, you are to move from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Now listen to this. These are the priests. These these are the ones who are about to go into the river first. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, the river was a raging river. It was flood season. It was harvest season. The river is literally flowing out of its banks. It is wild. And God simply says, tell the priest to carry this box on their shoulders and stand in the river. And so he gives them those instructions. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, Set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this word, God. I pray that we could feel the intensity of this scripture. Today we would literally feel that intensity as we take our next step, Lord. I pray that today you would be exalted, that your gospel would be heard, and that hearts would be touched and changed, that people would go from death to life as they trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to take um, just a minute, and I don't want you to close your eyes because you'll go to sleep. But I want you to kind of in your head, imagine what these priests are doing. 
I want you to kind of think about it. I want you to really begin, even maybe hearing the water, beginning to, to, to put yourself in this place where there's a raging river. It's crazy. And Joshua, your leader, comes and he says, this is what we're going to do, guys. That, that box that represents the presence of God that you've been hauling all over the place, this is what I need you to do. I need you to put that thing on your shoulders. And I need you to march off into that river. Because this is what's going to happen. When you step in the river, the river's going to part. We're all going to go across safely. All right, amen, break. Let's go. Right? Crazy. Crazy. And, and, and this is the instructions that Joshua gives the priest. And I want you to feel this. I want you to see it. I want you to understand it. I want you to imagine the nervousness that they must have had. Can you imagine that? They're about to step into a raging river. Can you imagine the butterflies and the nervousness that they must have had wondering, is this actually going to happen? Have you ever been there where you took a step of faith and you're like, is this even going to work? You're going up to share your faith with somebody. Like you ought to put on your heart and just tell them about Jesus. Maybe your testimony, whatever it might be, just to say God loves you. And you're like, oh my gosh, you feel like you're going to throw up. Can you imagine the nervousness that they have as they begin to take a step of faith and trust in God, uh, the fear that they would have had? And I want you to put yourselves in their position. And I want you to hold on to that feeling. And, and I want you to take that feeling now, and, and we're on the banks of the Jordan River, and then I want you to fast forward about three to 4,000 years to today. And the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to understand something today. Today, you are the priest. You are. Not me. Like, I've never worn the clergy collar, right? The priest collar. I don't even wear a tie. I sure ain't wearing that thing, right? (laughs) But here's the reality. We're the priest, not me, us. And I want you to hear this scripture out of 1 Peter 2.9. One of my favorite scriptures, it says, but you are a chosen people. That meaning us, the followers, the believers in Christ, God's people. We're a chosen people. And it says a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Very clearly that you and I are the priests. That's what God has called us to be. Priests that declare his glory, that declare his wonder and whose glory and wonder is worked out in our lives so that people literally look at us, not just us as individuals, but us as the church. And they go, there is the reality of God. That's our call. That people could see the reality of God through our lives. And in this chapter, in Joshua chapter three, what I want to do today is, is, Pretty quickly, I want to go through this chapter and show you some things that we need to come to a realization of that, that, that we have in common with these priests. That you and I today, as followers of Jesus, as the priests of God's kingdom, that we have in common with these priests today. So here's number one. Look back at verses one through three. We're going to read through this now. We're going to break it down. And I want you to just see a few things that I want you to realize that we have in common with the priest that were about to cross the Jordan River. Chapter three, verse one, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving 
orders to the people. Listen, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you're to move out from your positions. The first thing I want you to understand that you have in common with these priests is that we are carriers of the presence of God. We're, we are carriers of the presence of God. That if you are in Christ, like Christ is in you. And not just that, but that the power of the resurrection of Jesus is in you. That's pretty awesome power that can take a dead man and make him alive again. The Bible teaches us that that is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. So that you and I are carriers of the presence of God. Here's the awesome thing about it though. These guys were carrying the symbolic presence of God on their shoulders, on poles, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, a box that symbolized the great things of God, a box that symbolized the presence of God being with them, and they're carrying this on their shoulders. But here's the reality. The Bible says that we're a part of a better priesthood because we've been grafted into the family of God. We've been grafted in as part of God's family that we have become one with Jesus so that now we don't just carry something with us that symbolizes the presence of God. We have the presence of God inside of us. That is an awesome concept when you think about the power of God. Wow, how would our lives be different? If throughout the day we called on that power, if when we read the scripture, we weren't just reading words on a page, but we were allowing God to stir up on the inside of us, the flame of the Holy Spirit, that we would realize that we are not ordinary people, but we have been made extraordinary by an extraordinary God who has put his presence in us. How would that change our lives? How would that affect us taking our next steps of faith if we realize that we, as the Israelites, were being led by the presence and the power of God so that when we step, God steps with us. When we go and we're following him, God's power goes with us that God desires to use us in incredible and amazing ways. Here's the implication of that. The implication is that we can't stand back and wait on somebody else to do it. God's put his presence in us so that we can be the hands and the feet so that we can go and we can do the things that Jesus begun and that he's going to finish through us. We can't stand back and wait on somebody else. That'd be like watching a bank robbery take place and the security guard going, somebody ought to do something about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's you, go. That's us. We're the ones who are called. To walk in the power and the presence of God. To share the hope of God's glory with the world. What an awesome thing and what an awesome responsibility that we have. The second one in verse 5. Verse 4 says this. Then you'll know which way to go. Since you've never been this way before. In other words, God's about to do something that you've never seen. It says, but keep a safe distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And listen to what Joshua told the people. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Here's what I would tell you as priests, New Testament priests who, who are the priests of God's kingdom that you and I can expect 
amazing things. We can expect amazing things. You're like, well, come on now, brother. We just can't just walk around expecting amazing things. Why not? Why can't we expect amazing things? We have an amazing God. Maybe the reason we don't see amazing things happen is because we've forgotten how amazing he is or because we don't believe it in the first place. I like this. this smaller crowds are livelier. I am liking this. We might just go to two o'clock. Y'all keep on. This section like that. Yeah. But the reality is, guys, we can expect amazing things. Think about this. They're going into this river expecting amazing things. And and think about when Jesus walked with his disciples. I'm not going to read all of these chapters to you, but Matthew 8 and 9, I just want to hit some highlights because I want you to understand, do you really think that the disciples walked around wondering, is God going to do, is Jesus going to do amazing things? Listen to this. Just in chapters 8 and 9, beginning in chapter 8, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Pretty cool. He goes on and he heals a centurion servant who was dying. He goes on and Jesus, the, the, the subtitle of the next one in my Bible says Jesus heals many. He's like, there's too many. We can't even really divide it out. He, Jesus, Jesus healed many. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. You know, God had done a work in Peter's life. He took Jesus. I'm kidding. Where's my mother-in-law? She's still after me for talking about her spoiled milk. But he heals Peter's mother-in-law. You flip on over. Jesus calms the storm, right? Everything's going crazy. Jesus speaks peace and storm gets still. Then he heals two men who are possessed by a demon. Jesus heals a paralytic. Going over in nine, a dead girl and a sick woman. Here's how amazing Jesus was. He's on the way to heal a dead girl, like raise her back to life. She's sick. She dies while he's on the way. And Jesus was so amazing that on the way to a miracle, Jesus performed a miracle. Right? That's an amazing God. How awesome is that? Miracles upon miracles. It says that Jesus heals the blind and mute. And it just goes on and on. That's two chapters. Do you think that the disciples walked around wondering Anything amazing going to happen today? No, they knew this God of ours desires to work on behalf of his people and on behalf of those who don't know him, that they could come to the realization of who he is. And when we look at this, we realize that as disciples and followers of Jesus, we can expect amazing things. And see, some people would say, well, Jesus don't do that anymore. Whatever. Whatever, because this is how I know he still does. He changed my life. He changed me. If he can change my heart, then he's still doing amazing things. And we can expect God to do amazing things as his priests, as those who follow. Listen, there are people in here today who you don't realize how amazing your testimony is because you're like, well, you know, I've never done drugs. I've never really gotten too crazy. I've never, and I realize this is a small percentage of our church, but, but you look at it and, and you're like, I realized like I didn't have the craziest life, but can I encourage you with your testimony and the amazing things that God's done in your life? Listen, you are just as dead as the other people. 
as the ones who have the crazy testimony. You were just as dead. There's not degrees of dead. You're either alive or you're dead. And the Bible says that we were all dead in our transgressions. But there's an amazing God who took amazing steps, who lived an amazing life and died an amazing death and and walked out of a tomb on an amazing day, defeating sin and defeating death so that you and I could live and be amazed. That is our God. That we would be amazed. And, And I realize this, guys, like there are people who all you do is find the negative. And there's days when I struggle with this. All we see are negative things. I went to a baseball game, a Braves game, a couple of months ago. A friend of mine invited me to go to the Braves game. We went up. It was one of Chipper Jones' last games. Um, you know, I'm almost in tears thinking about it. But we go to the ball game, and he's told me, like, we got tickets behind the Braves dugout. I'm like, that is awesome, right? We get down there. We didn't have tickets, like, behind the Braves dugout. We had tickets behind the Braves dugout. Like I set my Diet Coke on the Braves dugout. That is awesome. It was so amazing. I'm sitting there watching the ball game and they're walking by and I'm like, I can smell them. And it was both energizing and depressing because on one hand I'm like, I'm so close. And on the other hand, I'm like, it's close as I'm ever getting. But it was so cool. And we get there. We had not been there five minutes. I'm telling you the truth. Five minutes. And a bat boy walks over while the Marlins are taking BP. And he throws a baseball up to Dake, my my oldest son, and his buddy Ames. We hadn't been there five minutes. Dake reaches for the ball, hits it, and knocks it back on the field. (laughs) It's like, Dake, what what are you doing? And so the guy comes over. He throws it back up there. And we're sitting there. And Dake literally looks at me. And he says, why don't they have somewhere I can put my ball? And I was like, I'm about to show you where you can put that ball. So I took it and I threw it back on the field. And I was like, let that be a lesson to you. So I, y'all, come on. I would not really do that. But I really was like, really? We're sitting behind the Braves dugout where we can look over and see the players and You're upset because you don't have a place to put the ball. And I find that there are people like that in life that it doesn't matter how much good and amazing things God does, we find something wrong with it. We could give you a gold brick today and you'd be like, well, that ain't good enough. Why has it got a scratch in it? You know what I'm saying? And and, and the reality of it is, man, we have an amazing God who does amazing things. I was literally sitting there, eyes wide open. Dave was like, Daddy, can I go throw in the the, the little cage with the radar gun so I can see how fast I can throw? I was like, sit down, son. We're not leaving these seats. Until they come by with a broom and make us leave with seats, we are staying right here and watching the ball game. And I was amazed. I was amazed by the Braves game. I was amazed. And some of you have been in that position where things have amazed you before, but here's the reality. If that amazes us, how much more the God of the universe? That we should be amazed by the work he does, by the things he does, by how he works in our lives, how he works in the lives of those around us. And that's what God does. He does amazing things. One of my favorite verses of scripture is in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. It's always been a source of encouragement for me. And I want to read it to you real quick. Ephesians three, verse 20, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And then verse 21 goes on and says to him, be the glory in the church. 
that God does more than we could ever think or imagine. That is our God. I remember when we were at the Blue Building over behind Burger King um, and we had outgrown the first space we were meeting in and we needed to knock down a wall, fill in a pool, fill in a jacuzzi, build a stage. It was crazy, man, like what we had to do to get more space. But we decided we'd take that step of faith and after it was all over, we literally got this done in a week. Like when we met in the first service, the lights were hanging down out of the ceiling. They're like, a, like we were, um, in, what is it? Uh, not terrorizing. Interrogating. Yes, interrogating. <laughs> interrogating people. Like the lights were swinging. We didn't have any carpet down. But everything else got done that week. It was absolutely amazing. A couple of weeks later, we had this ribbon cutting ceremony. And people came and like the papers came. And we're all standing in front of the blue building. And I got like Susan here. And we're all happy. We get the picture back on the paper. And we look down and Dake has on no socks and no shoes. <laughs> and so I was like, well, that's our family. But... We, we, we get all this done and I'm standing there with a lady in the, during the ribbon cutting and she looks at me and she says, this is incredible. Did you ever think this would happen? And I was like, no, I can't believe it. And right when I said that, God rebuked me and Ephesians 3.20 came to mind and he says, why can't you believe it? Don't you know I desire to do great things for my people and in the people's lives so that they would know me? Don't you realize that that's what the cross and the empty tomb is about? That people would come to a reconciled relationship with God and it would bring him glory. And I realize that we do serve a God who does immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. The third one, skip over to verses 14 to 17. You have no idea how hard it is to skip over those verses, but we're going to skip over those verses. Verse 14 It says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark, as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Number three, the third thing we have in common with these priests is that we have a common purpose. We have a common purpose. They understood their purpose. Our purpose is to stand firm in the middle of a raging river while people cross from this side to that side. But the thing we need to realize is they weren't just crossing a river. They weren't just going from side A to side B. They were going from side A into God's promise. And we need to realize that we have that same common purpose. That we've been given the amount of time on this earth that we have so that our lives can be used to take people from this side to the promise. That we as the priest of God would stand in the raging river and that we would be a light of hope that points people in their darkest time over to the promise of God eternal life. 
That's what our call is, is to stand firm when things are chaotic. Hello, and everybody's flipping out about a presidential election. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Obama, he's antichrist. It's all going to hell. We're going to all die. (laughs) Can I just remind you today that you serve a sovereign God who elects the leaders, who puts them in place, and that can even use your worst nightmare, as some of you would describe, to do amazing things. That's just straight out of the Bible. That God appoints all people who are in authority. I want to remind you that you have a God who is sovereignly in control and who has called us to step in the middle of chaos and confusion and to stand firm when all hell is breaking loose in the lives of other people and and to stand firm to show them, go this way. Go this way. Trust me. Go this way. God has great promises for you. He has sent his son to die for you. He has overcome sin and death for you. When people are walking through their darkest hours, and some of you have done this and I've watched it and it has been incredible, you shine a light and you say, listen, I know you're in a dark forest and I know you can't see light, but listen to me, just follow me. Just come and follow me and we'll get through this together. That is our call as the priest of God's kingdom. And I want you to grab hold of that because as we move as a church, as we do the work that God has called us to do, we cannot do it alone. We must be of one mind and one heart and one soul and one vision that God has given to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other, to see their lives radically changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, to see God do things that we cannot do on our own. That is what God has called us to do. That's who God's called us to be. The priest that point other people to the promise. Look at verses 14 to 17 again. I'm not going to read them, but I want you to pick up on this. And I'll drop back over real quick. And, and I want you to hear verse 4 in chapter 3 again. It says, then you'll know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a safe distance about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Do not go near it. And so you see in that verse, he's like, all right, all the the people, you stand back and I want the priest, I want you to go into the river and I want you to stand there. And the fourth thing that we have in common with these priests is that we're called to be the miracle. We're called to be the miracle that God uses in the lives of other people. We're not called just to sit idly by. We're not called, listen, we're called to be the miracle, not to watch the miracle. So many of us are sitting back and we're watching things go by and we just want to see something cool happen, man. Those baptisms, they were awesome. Man, those salvations, do you believe? 53 people went out for prayer. People were talking about, that was like Pentecost Sunday. Not quite. But we, so many want to sit back and watch and take it in. But you need to realize if you are in Christ, you are a priest of the most high God. And God has called you to be the miracle, not to sit back and watch a miracle. God desires to use you to transform people's hearts and people's lives. Question is, will we step? Will we step up and step in? In the gospel of John, in chapter six, there's a, some scripture there that's absolutely amazing. I think I have it marked in my Bible. I'm going to get there one day. In John chapter 6, 
you begin to, to see that, that Jesus is doing incredible things as we looked at in, in Matthew 8 and 9. But in this instance, Jesus has been teaching. Crowds have been gathering. You can go back and read this sometime. It's John 6, 1 through 13. Jesus has been teaching the people. There's huge crowds gathering. They're amazed at the things that Jesus does. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, or they say, we need to send them away so that we can, they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, why don't you feed them? And they're like, Lord, do you know how much it'd take to feed all these people? And Jesus looks at them and he says, well, what do we have? Let's, let's, let's look at our resources and let's see what we've got. And if you've read this before, you know that they come back and they say, basically all we have is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And if you know this account, Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, they begin to put it in baskets and he feeds thousands of people in that moment from five loaves of bread and two fish. And I want to tell you, if we're going to be the miracle, it means we need to step up. Can you imagine the little boy? They're like, hey, bud, we need your lunch. He's like, you can't have my lunch. Like, Jesus needs your lunch. Jesus needs to go get his own lunch. I want my lunch. But finally, the boy steps up and he gives what he has. And here's the thing that we struggle with so many times when God calls us to be the miracle is we look at it and we're like, I got nothing to give. What a slap in the face of a holy God who is all powerful, who can take five loaves and two fish and feed probably close to 20,000 people by the time it was said and done. Don't you see, if you'll step up and offer God what he's given you, that he'll use it, multiply it, and do incredible things with it. That's what God wants us to do, is to step up. The second scripture I'd refer you to, go back and read it. It's really good stuff. The word of God will change your life because it's living and active. Matthew. Chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Most of you have heard this, even if you've never read your Bible. But Jesus goes and he begins to walk on water. Oh, hum. Nothing amazing ever happens around Jesus. The disciples have gone out in a boat. Jesus walks out on the water. They see him. They freak out a little bit, as you would. Don't act like you wouldn't. They freak out a little bit. And then Peter, oh, Peter, my buddy, my man. Peter gives me hope. He goes, Jesus, if it's you, let me walk to you. Jesus is like, come on, idiot. <laughs> and so Peter steps out of the water or out of the boat into the water and he begins to walk on water. But the Bible says that the wind began to blow the waves. He saw all that and he goes, he freaks out. He loses his mind and he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches down, picks him up and says, all right, I got you. Let's go back to the boat. But Peter, you know he used that as bragging rights. Every time there was an argument about who was the greatest, Jesus go, any, or Peter said, any of y'all ever walked on water? Didn't think so, shut up. But he walked, and listen, here's the crazy thing. He didn't even get it right. You see what I'm saying? He sank. But Jesus called him. Jesus calls us to step up and to step out so that we can be the miracle in somebody's life. He calls us to get out of the boat and to trust him. No, and listen, if we're in Christ, we've already won. We have already won. We have an amazing opportunity to step up, step out, and step into being a miracle in somebody's life. 
Peter didn't get it right, but here's the crazy thing. Almost 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. God will use our lives in incredible ways if we'll step up and step in and step out to be the miracle in other people's lives. The last one, verse 15 of Joshua chapter 3, says this. Somewhere, there it is. The print gets smaller as I get older. It says, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. But listen to this, because this is where we are, priest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. The Bible says in verse 15 that as soon as their feet touched the water, the river parted and the water ceased to flow. It goes on and says they all walked across on dry ground. The priest stood firm on dry ground. The fifth thing that we have in common with these priests and that God has called us to do is we, like these priests, are called to step into the river. We're called to step into the river. And see, here's the crazy thing. The river didn't part until they went into it. And as we've talked about a whole lot lately, God's called us to take our next step as a church. But this is what the Lord spoke to my heart. And this is where this entire series came from. Is when I read that verse, God spoke and he said, you just step. You just step. He said, you step into the river. I began to share my heart with our board, with our staff. Everybody's like, yeah, we've got to step. We've just got to step because the river oftentimes does not part until we go into it. And we have to trust that the Lord will do mighty and amazing things on our behalf. This is where my heart is for our church right now. Right now. And we're going to just step into the river. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. But I have amazing peace and amazing faith that God has got this. And that God is going to do some incredible things. And that his word is going to be true. And I love this verse in Joshua chapter 3. He says, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. That as we take our next step as a church, that we would look, and not only us, but the lost and the hurting would look and go, there's the reality of God. That the work he does would be the evidence of who he is and his power and his glory. And this is the thing that I would tell you. I'm willing to bet my life on Ephesians 3.20 that God does want to do and God will do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could think or imagine. And here's the reality. As we take our next step, he's going to have to because we can't do it on our own. But I am so jacked up. at the uh, Not like messed up, like pumped up. I'm jacked up too, but I am so pumped up about the opportunity to see God move in a way that we can never take glory or credit and that he would receive all the glory for. I want you to understand, like, 
It's time for us to take our next step. And we're going to do that today. And you get to be a part of that because you didn't go to the Georgia-Georgia Southern game because you didn't have the money. <laughs> and your family doesn't like you, so you didn't get invited to Thanksgiving dinner. But <laughs> because of that, you get to be a part of this. You get to see it and we get to step into what God has called us to do. And my prayer is that as you watch this video we're about to show, that your hearts would be moved, that you'd be filled with expectancy, and that we would truly begin to live in faith that God desires to do amazing things. Check this out. Seventeenth, two 2008, Connection Church met for the first time. Twelve of us gathered here, huddled into this living room, as I shared what I believe God had put on my heart. We had no idea how to start a church. Susan and I just knew that the Lord told us to take our next step into the river to see if the waters parted. Susan asked me one night, how do you start a church? I told her, just cook some chili and we'll see what happens. At our first gathering, I was asked again, how do you start a church? I said, I think we're doing it. With the smell of chili in the air and butterflies in our stomach, we moved forward one step at a time. We had 12 people at the first meeting, and the next week we had 13. We'd already grown by 10%. As we sat around my living room those first two meetings, I tried to paint a picture of what it would look like to do simple church that was laser focused on connecting unbelievers to God and believers to each other. We knew that we needed to preach the word, so the following Monday we would have our first worship service at the Hadijan Pond House. This would be the first of many next steps for Connection Church. This is where we moved to when we left my house. That Monday, I brought with me a borrowed projector, a screen, a laptop, and computer speakers. And this is how we had our first worship experience. It wasn't much, but God was just as evident then as He is today. We wanted to minister to children. That's always been a major focus for us. We don't believe that they are the future of the kingdom of God. We believe they are movers and shakers in the kingdom of God right now. So we set them up on this screened-in back porch the only other area that we could possibly use. However, it was the 1st of December and it was freezing. So I came out here one day with a roll of plastic and a staple gun and wrapped the entire porch in plastic. I tell you all of that to say that God had a plan. We began praying for a building that would allow us to meet more regularly. That night, someone approached me and said they thought they had a place for us. It was time for us to take our next step. This is where we ended up. We were allowed to use this building for the first year for free. That was a gift of $54,000. You think that was a confirmation? We called this building and still refer to it as the Blue Building. When we would invite people to church, we'd say, it's the little blue building behind Burger King. 
It always sounded more like we were setting up a drug deal than we were inviting them to church. When we first moved in, the place was a mess. It was originally a gym, then became a physical therapy clinic, and then it finally became a pawn shop. We started cleaning, patching walls, painting, and hanging sheetrock. We ended up knocking down all the walls and doubling our worship area. The problem? It was expensive, especially to a church operating on about $1,500 a week. We finally borrowed $20,000 to finish the project. It was a huge step of faith for us. Amazingly, seven days after we borrowed the money, we wrote a check to pay off the loan. People who saw the vision and whose hearts were moved by God stepped up. We ended up outgrowing this building. We went to three services and did everything we could, but we knew in the end we had to find another alternative. Once again, it was time for us to take our next step. As with almost everything we've ever done, our next move was the opposite of what most churches do. We went from a permanent location to a portable location here at Statesboro High School. I'll never forget the day when I stood up and announced that we were moving to the school. As I stood in front of about 400 people during that day at all of our services, announced with great excitement this move, it was silent. I found out that not everybody was excited about the move to the school as I was. I saw empty seats. They saw a school. It took a while to get used to, but we have seen God do some amazing things in this rented space. For example, on October 9th of last year, we watched 54 people get baptized after that day's service. All of the sacrifices so many have made, setting up and tearing down, seem small in light of people's eternity being changed. We've set up pipe and drape, we've rolled road cases, we've hauled set designs, we've put out flags, we've set up signs, we've swept and mopped floors for the little ones, and every bit of effort's been worth it. Since our first service here at SHS, we've seen over 43,000 people in all attend one of our worship services. Those aren't numbers, they're names. They're loved by God and have a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. In light of that, the effort we've put forth seems minimal. Just like every other step we've ever taken, God has given us a vision of where to go next. When God speaks, it is a mandate. The only options are to be obedient or disobedient. There is no in-between. Connection Church, it's time for us to take our next step. I'm in a field next to the new Sally Zetterar School, and in my hands are the plans for the future permanent building of Connection Church. This is going to be the site of our new campus. And just like was said in my living room many years ago, it will be a place where we connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. This will be the location of our home base from which we transform a community one life at a time. It's going to be a light that shines brightly from the top of this hill throughout the world. The past few years we've seen hundreds of people take their next steps. We've seen lives changed and hearts transformed. Ephesians 3.20 says God will do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. We truly feel like the best is yet to come. Connection Church, this is our next step.
little better reaction than when we announced the school. Um, it's a daunting thing. It really is. But I know that we serve a God who is huge and he can do amazing things. I got some good news and I got some better news. The good news is, and, and hold your applause till I get done, that we have, we have all the funds and the resources that it'll take to do this project. Okay? The better news is, we all have an opportunity to give it. We just really believe that God's told us to step. And we're not going to do this. This is connection. We don't do things normally. We're not doing this normally. We're going to do it different. The reality of the project is we need $1.5 million to break ground. Dang! (laughs) That is a lot of money. But I know that God is able... I know that God will do the unthinkable. And we're going to bet everything on it. We're going to lay it all on the line and trust God to do an incredible work that we couldn't do on our own. I believe God desires this to be a God-glorifying process. That a people who are united around one cause and one purpose would move together to do something that no one else could possibly do. That we're going to continue to take our next steps in this the time frame when we have the money you know what i'm saying i don't know when god moves on our hearts to do an incredible work we'll do it when he moves in our hearts to provide it listen the project i'll give you more details as we go along but the project will include a worship area it's going to include a kids area um it won't have pipe and drape we're going to have a pipe and drape burning party uh Whenever we, we get this thing built, you can tell everybody that's helped with set up or tear down. They're like, woo! Um, we're going to uh, have a, a care and prayer area where we can pray with people. We're going to have a fellowship and gathering area. Um, we're going to have offices. We're going to have a lot of opportunities and ministry opportunities for people to come in and experience the glory and the power of Jesus. Here's the reality, though. This building... The, the greatness of this is not the building, right? The greatness of this are the lives that will be changed inside the building. And the way it reaches into a community as a beacon of light as we go out and we reach people. That's the greatness of this. We want to tie it into that bike path. If you go by there, there's a new bike path. There's people on it all the time. We want to tie it in. We want to be able for people to come and just come in through the day. We Listen, we want to wear the carpet out every year with people coming in and out of the building. And we just believe with all our heart that this is our next step. We don't want it to sit dormant. We want it to be um, something that's used to transform and change lives. And here's the crazy thing. And if you've ever wondered if I am nuts, let me confirm that for you. Because that's not all. We thought we had this worked out. It was about a two or three month process of meeting with the board, having some tough discussions, praying to get the clear picture of how we were to do this. Because like I said, listen, we're not doing a campaign. 
I'm not going to beg and plead and try to manipulate you to give money. If God moves in your heart, give. If not, keep it. Right? Because God's not short on cash. He'll do everything he wants to do. But if God moves in your heart, give generously. If he doesn't, go to Hawaii. I don't know. Whatever you would do with that money. But here's the thing. Thought like we had this kind of neat and tidied up. We had got the video done. We got everything done. Tuesday morning, I'm praying, and this is my journal. Just so you know, I have one of these little black journals like a lot of you do, and I do actually write in it. Um, I was praying, and this is what the Lord put in my heart. And I just wrote it down and, and what I felt like he was telling me. This is, I want to make this river broad and deep and violent. So that when we walk across on dry ground in God, that God and God alone will be glorified. And that his glory would shine increasingly and magnificently brighter than we could ever imagine. And in that moment, I'm like, all right, God, a million and a half, that's pretty violent. But I just began to feel like God was stirring my heart with something else. The next day on Wednesday, God began to prepare me. He began to speak to my heart about just knowing that I'm his son. Just taking courage, not worrying about what naysayers would say, not worrying about what anybody else says, but just being obedient. And I heard some jerk a couple of weeks ago talk about when God speaks, it's a mandate and you have to step when he steps. And so I hate, hate that guy, but so he was speaking to my heart and I was writing this stuff down. And the next day on Thursday, God put in my heart something that at the time was unthinkable, still makes me want to throw up in my mouth. I know that's a little graphic. But he said, I want you, for every dollar you put towards the building, I want you to give a dollar to missions and outreach. I don't know if y'all can add, but that's $3 million. But this is the thing that I know. We started out to reach and to transform a community and the world. I'm not selling my soul to a building. It belongs to Jesus. And we're going to do everything we can to continue to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. And we're going to grow them up so that they can become disciples who disciple and that they become disciples who make disciples. And we're going to do everything we can to do that. I don't know where it's coming from. Fearless leader, my rear end. I don't know. But I know that God will provide. He's going to do exactly what he wants to do. And I want to tell you that there are about five things on my heart that I, I really want to share. And I just want you to hear them. The first one is that I believe with everything in me, that we're following God. I believe with everything in me, we are doing exactly what God has called us to do. 100%. Even though I don't know how the water's parting, I don't know what it's going to look like. I know this. We are following the leading of God. The second thing is that God will use this to glorify him. Whatever it looks like, I expect to be amazed. And whatever that amazement looks like, God is going to be glorified. 
because we're going to worship him and we're going to be a people that is transformed by his power and by his life and by the light of Christ in us, we're going to transform other lives. The third thing I would tell you, I believe with all my heart, is that the greatness of the next step is not in the building, but in the thousands of lives that are going to be transformed and in the way that we're going to impact our community with the money that we give to missions and outreach and the way we impact the world with that. Listen, next week I'm going to roll out more of how we're going to use that and what it's going to look like and what we feel that the Lord's put on our heart. We're going to be rigidly fluid. If God changes directions, we will too. But that money is going to go and it's going to transform lives and it's going to be transforming hearts because It'll be used for the glory of God and through his power. Number four, I believe with all my heart that we're going to be the miracle that God uses in other people's lives. And two promises. One, this building will not become an idol. We are not worshiping this building. We're not. We worship Jesus and Jesus alone. Number two, we'll not forsake our mission for brick and mortar. And I'm not selling my soul to this building. We're going to continue to do the things that God has called us to do. We're going to worship, serve, disciple. We're going to uh, have fellowship with each other in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, We're going to do missions. We're going to do those things that God called us to do originally. The fifth thing is that today, I believe this with everything in me, that we're simply stepping in and trusting God to stack water. Only God can do that. We cannot stack water, and yet God is able. I want to read an email that I got actually on February the 13th of 2011. And this is from a friend of mine. Her name's Tammy Gann. She's a missionary in India right now, and she's one that we support through the church and give to her so that she can do missions work in India. But she sent this to me on February the 13th um, in 2011, and here's the crazy thing. is like we weren't even looking at building. Um, we knew we needed some more space, and we ended up coming here, but we knew we weren't looking at building at that time. But this is what she wrote. She said, hey, Brandon, as I was reading this morning, I came across some verses that made me think of you in connection, specifically about your need for new space and stress that comes with knowing the expense required to build or purchase a new building. It was from Exodus 35 and 36. I was reading out of the New Living Translation about when God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle. And when Moses told the people what they needed to do, chapter 35, verse 21 says that all those whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved brought their sacred offerings to God. That's what caught my attention first. It was the people who were stirred that gave and they gave sacred offerings. Listen to this, not gifts of obligation. How cool to think of a congregation giving in this way for the purposes of building a sacred place to worship the Lord. Then in chapter 36, verses 2 through 5, it speaks of how the work began and people continued to bring their gifts until they had more than enough materials on hand to complete the the job the Lord had given them to do. In fact, in verse 6, Moses actually had to command the people to stop bringing materials. And verse 7 just restates their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. She goes on to say, anyway, I just wanted to share these thoughts with you. I know the stress you must carry as you consider the cost of getting into a new space. Seems to me, I love this part, seems to me that when it's time and the Lord leads you guys to build, that you can trust that you will have more than enough to complete the whole project. Have a good morning of worship. I'd forgotten about that email until about a week ago, and or probably, well, probably about two or three weeks ago, and I asked Tammy if she could find it. She found it and emailed it to me, and 
I remembered a little bit about it, but I didn't really remember it all. And when I read that, I was like, that's our way of doing it. I know it seems crazy. And listen, I may look like a complete idiot. Okay. But this is what I believe. That God is going to move and stir the hearts of his people to make an impact for his kingdom that causes ripples into eternity and is so much bigger than we are. I truly, truly, truly believe that. I'm gonna close out with this, that back in Joshua chapter three, as they begin to cross, the Bible says that they set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing. And this really caught my attention the other day. It says, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests carrying it, who are the Levites, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. And anytime I read something that talks about three days, it catches my attention. And as I was reading that the other day, I went back and I just began to pray and ask God, God, what's the significance of this? Because I believe that every word in Scripture points us to Jesus. That that is its purpose. It points us to Christ. And I began to think about those three days. And I began to think about what they were doing. And I realized that they, after three days, began to make preparations for people to enter into God's promise. And I began to think about another place that the Bible talks about three days. And I began to really see our purpose in this was that it was after three days that Jesus stepped out of a tomb and made preparations for us to enter into God's promise. Our sins were paid for on the cross, but at the end of three days, Jesus walked out of the tomb and he defeated sin and death forever. And now we have that great and awesome promise from a God who is able and I want you to understand that with buildings and missions and everything we do that that is why we do what we do is to bring people into the promise of God he has made all the preparations for us he has offered us a reconciled relationship with God and here's the reality for us today that you and I can have that relationship reconciled relationship that is at peace with God and that God uses to be the miracle in somebody else's life. That's God's offer for us today. And this is what I know, that there are people here today who have never taken hold of that offer, not by what you've done or haven't done or how bad or how good you've been, but by faith in Jesus, the only way you can have it. And before we leave, listen, we're not getting away from our mission. I want to ask you right now, if you have not made that decision and you know that today the Lord has beat on your heart and he is drawing you to himself and today by faith, you want to take hold of Jesus and his righteousness and be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him, not religion, but a relationship with the living God. Today, I'm going to ask you right where you are in front of this church body and this family that you would stand to your feet today. Say, I need a relationship with Christ.
Would you stand? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Who else? You know that the Lord is beating on your heart. Listen, before y'all sit, will y'all let us pray with you? You just walk straight out these back doors. Just shoot straight out the doors. There'll be people there to greet you. We're going to pray with you and help you take your next step. But, man, listen, if you're here right now and the Lord is banging on the door of your heart and you know he is speaking to you, just stand to your feet, man. This is the biggest decision you'll ever make. Anybody else before we go? Amen. Our youth pastor just got saved. Um, listen, it's 12 o'clock. We're visiting the worship the God of the universe in one more song. I'd encourage you, don't waste this time. If you got a pot, pot roast or whatever, and uh, whatever you got to do, we're going to invite you to worship. I'm going to pray. We're going to celebrate the God that changes lives. Guys, I'm telling you this, and if I stray from it, you come kick me in the head. That is why we do what we do. Right there. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for people who go from death to life. Thank you for the power of your spirit that awakens us, that calls us to yourself, God. That does what only you can do, Lord. God, we're in the river. We're, we're, our feet have just hit the river. We know you're able. God, you've done great and mighty things, and we just expect that to continue. We don't know what it'll look like, but God, we know you are good, and we trust you with everything we have. We're willing to bet our lives on who you are. Because you gave your life for us that we could live. We love you, Father, and thank you this amazing opportunity to worship you in Jesus name.